Yeah, I got touched uh, in 1993 um, when my mother invited me to her church. I was minding my business in a good Presbyterian church in Durham, North Carolina, and she invited me to her non-denominational Pentecostal church in Greensboro. Said there was an evangelist there. She said uh, Pentecost is broken out. You got to come, and I was scared of that. And I said, Well, we we can't. We got an ice cream social uh, Wednesday night. <laughs> she said, Come another night, and uh, she made me come. And um, I got so touched that night, and uh, joy came in my life, uncontrollable joy. And that was 1993, and the joy of the Lord's never left. And, uh, and uh, I, I'm so thankful for this opportunity to come and be with you and to bless you and to uh, speak to you. I had originally thought, because uh, the power to bless is not just a life message for me. Uh, I mean, not just a message for the moment. It's a life message for me. And I uh, originally thought, well, maybe I would speak on that um, in the beginning you know, God created Adam and Eve, and then he blessed them. And then he said, be fruitful and multiply. And I would just sum up a lot of my life journey as saying that for a long time, even after I was a Christian, I thought it was the opposite. I thought, if I'll be fruitful and multiply, if I'll be productive, if I'll perform, if I'll do well, then God will bless me. And beloved, the gospel is just the opposite of that. God's blessing is not the reward for your productivity. It is the fuel for it. That's what that book's about. But the Lord's put a different message on my heart uh, for today, which is something he showed me during pandemic. And it was so, it was so prophetic for our people. And I think it is for you as well. And so we're going to turn our attention in a different direction. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the timelessness of this word that is unlike withering grass or fading flowers, but this word that stands forever, that is like incorruptible and imperishable seed that finds its way into the ready soil of our heart, any place in our being that is fertile soil this morning, Lord, we invite you to deposit this seed and let it grow and flourish such that we in faith today can see a harvest that comes from even the tiniest seed. What we believe, therefore, is that your word is living and active, that it takes on a life of its own once it's within us. So would you, gracious God, Grant us the grace to receive everything you have for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in our home congregation, I start out every uh, sermon with a question, and it's one that is, is not rhetorical question. It's like, you know, I need to hear from you, and um, I don't want you to be outdone by North Carolinians. <laughs> So I'm looking for an out loud response uh, to this. Are you ready for some good news? Yes! It was pretty good on the left-hand side, <laughs> but it wasn't that great all. Are you ready for some good news? Yes! Brothers and sisters, you've come farther than you think. You, you, you've taken more ground than you realize. I'm confident of that. And you are a conqueror in Christ. If you are in Christ, you are more than a conqueror. 
You're a territory taker in the Spirit. And there is a lot of promised land still to be taken that is not yet occupied. But if this pandemic, as it has been for so many, and if life itself with all of the transitions and uncertainties that have come upon us and all of the problems of culture, if all of it has left you feeling a bit tired, overwhelmed, knocked down, I, I really believe the word is you've come farther than you think. Don't give up now. And I want to show you this in a picture from the scripture. I think it means that you've probably grown more spiritually than you realize right now. That you probably have more spiritual resources in you than you might feel like you do. That your marriage may have more to go, but you've come farther than you realize. That though there might be a setback in a particular relationship that you have that all of the good that has been before has not been stolen from you and that you have some steel in your soul that didn't used to be there. And uh, all of this is for the strengthening of the journey ahead. So the Old Covenant, the Old Testament is full of shadows and types of the new, of the reality in Christ. It's why I love preaching from the Old Testament because there are pictures in individual stories that are pointing to the big story. So your Bible is not a list of instructions. It is not a collection of moralisms. It is not good advice. It is a big meta-narrative. One big overarching story of what God has done to rescue you from the wages of sin and to make you not only a person who is saved and forgiven, but to make you a co-heir with his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. It is the story of all that he has done so that you would have a share in the inheritance that should have been reserved only for Jesus. It is therefore not just about being saved by the blood of the lamb, but it is a story about being heirs of a promised land. And that's why you see on the landscape of real history a shadow of these deep spiritual things that plays out in the people of God. And so if you could look at it in picture form, the, the image of so much of the story of the Old Testament is that there were people, these Hebrew people that were slaves in Egypt for a long time. And God's plan for them was for them to be heirs in a promised land. And that began with a series of signs and wonders and a final plague against the firstborn of the Egyptians until eventually Pharaoh said that he would let the people go. But then, even then, they came up to the brink of the Red Sea and it seemed impassable until God did a miracle and the people came out through the waters of the Red Sea and they came into a wilderness. And the plan was to go through the wilderness because we all go through wildernesses. We all go through deserts. Deserts and wildernesses are meeting places for God and his people. But they are not homes. They are not where you camp out. It's what you move through. And they came up to the brink of the promised land, sent in spies. 
And 10 of the 12 came back with a negative report and they believed of themselves to be grasshoppers in their own eyes and their shame caused them to turn back in the wilderness and instead of moving forward, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And the wilderness, therefore, was to them the place, don't miss this, that was much more safe in their mind than the promised land. They were afraid that they wouldn't be able to win in the promised land, and so instead they turned back. The irony was the only way that they were going to actually perish would be to not take the promised land. And in their wandering, that whole generation died off in the wilderness. You see so many spiritual pictures in this, right? This is the real historical drama of the people of God that is painting a picture for us of what life in Jesus Christ actually is. And so God raised up a new leader who had been Moses' aide, Joshua. And Joshua, let me just say in advance so that you're thinking about it, every, every bit of what we read today, his name in Hebrew, Yeshua, if you bring it transliterated into Greek, into which the New Testament was written, his name, Yeshua, is transliterated as Iesus. And when you bring Iesus from the Greek into English, the way it sounds to us is Jesus. So it's very important to know that Jesus' actual name was Yeshua. So Joshua, this Jesus, is leading people into the place of promise because the story of the people of God is not just about coming out of Egypt, but it is about taking a promised land step by step. And what I want to show you today that I think is this prophetic picture that meant so much to me over these last couple years is that once he goes into the land, Joshua does, they're going to be battle after battle after battle. I know you can't read the, all these names, the little towns, villages, and cities that mark all of the conquest, but what will happen is that the people of God will come across the Jordan, and then their first battle famously will be at Jericho, and then they'll have a setback at Ai, then they'll win at Ai, and then there's going to be a campaign through the central and the southern parts of Judah before then later they will also move up into another northern campaign. So all of this is battle after battle. And, and, and this nourished me so much when years ago I realized that the promised land was a battleground. Because if you can understand that your promised land is not the by and by of heaven. The picture in the Bible, the promised land, is the heirs of God living now step by step in this invisible kingdom. And so it is that if your promised land is a battleground, it means that if you're facing a battle today, it doesn't mean that you're outside of the will of God. It might mean you're smack dab in the middle of it. And sometimes we feel like that once we get past all the battles, then we'll enjoy the ease of the promised land. The promised land was not a place of ease. It was a place of victory. There's a big difference. And what's so interesting is Joshua, who we're going to look at briefly, some of, of Joshua 1 today, who had this, he was the conqueror, right? And all of that space that you see in red there was conquered under Joshua's leadership. That's the conquest, we call it. So come out of Egypt where you were slaves by the blood of a lamb that was 
put over the doorposts of the Hebrew slave huts. And the destroyer brought a plague against the firstborns of the Egyptians. They came out through the Red Sea. That's deliverance. They go through a wilderness time and go into the promised land where there is battle after battle and they're conquering and they're victorious and they're setbacks and they keep on moving and they gain all that that's in the red. But guess what? All the land that was promised to them that God said, this is the land I'm giving you, was all that that's in green. And all that that was in green up on the screen there, they did not acquire until the time of David, hundreds of years later. Joshua led the people in battle after battle, and they conquered and they conquered, and he died, and there was much more land to be taken. So Joshua chapter 1, I want you to be aware today that you can think about all that you haven't done and all the disappointments of things that haven't come to pass and all of the things that haven't manifest that you hoped and it will cause you despair or you can think about how far you've come by the power of God. So here comes Joshua chapter 1. It's the biggest moment of his life. He's been Moses' aide. He's been Moses' disciple. Moses is his spiritual father. And he needs motivation now more than ever because all of a sudden the mantle's on him. And uh, he's going to lead the people into the promised land. And here comes God with his big motivational speech to Joshua as he is sending him on into the conquest. So think of a coach before the big game, right? What's he going to say? This is the motivational moment to really inspire his new leader. And what's he going to say to him? Here's what he says. Joshua 1 verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Thank you. If, I, if I'm Joshua, I'm like, I want to say, thank you, God. We, I hadn't noticed that the most important person on the face of earth to me and to the people of God who has led us out of Egypt by signs and wonder, oh, he's dead, is he? The whole people have been grieving. Joshua was grieving. Everybody's grieving. And this is God's motivation. Moses is dead. Shouldn't he have learned to be, you know, a little more speaking euphemisms, you know, the way we do? You know, I mean, like, Moses has passed on to glory. Moses has flown away and fulfilled his commission. I was thinking about this story. I heard this man named Sam had a dog and a cat, and he asked his neighbor Joe if he'd look after him while he went on vacation. Joe said, all right. Well, not long after Sam had gone on vacation, unfortunately, the cat got up into a tree and then jumped over onto the roof, got stuck on the roof, then fell off the roof and died. So Joe called up Sam, and he said, Joe, I mean, he said, Sam, your cat died. And Sam was just distraught. And he said, you shouldn't have done it like that. You, sh you, should have, you should have called me and said that the cat's missing. And then called me later and said, the cat's up in a tree. And then you should have called me and said, and the cat's on the roof. You know, and, and, and let, let it be step by step like that. And, and let me down gently. Come on. And uh, just said, all, all right, all right. And... Um, so two days later, Joe had to call Sam again. 
He said, uh, Sam, Sam said, what? Joe said, your dog is on the roof. (laughs) (laughs) Moses is dead. Just think about that. It's like everything to Joshua. My sweet mother, uh, she died last month. She'd been my buddy. I was the youngest of three boys, and when I was a kid, um, there was a period of time both my brothers had already gone off to college. It was just mom and me. She, she, we, watched, we watched Kojak together. She loved Kojak. Did anybody remember Kojak and those lollipops and stuff? She liked Kojak. We watched Kojak. We watched every Carolina basketball game that came on. She was my buddy. Um, after my dad left home when I was in fourth grade, my mom fell on her knees in the middle of the night and she said, Lord, if you really exist, I need to know it because I feel like I'm sinking down and if you don't do something, I'll probably take these three boys with me. And the next day, a lady named Babs Wingscock, who was an acquaintance of hers, came and knocked on the door and said, Marianne, I was awakened in the middle of the night last night and I couldn't get you off my heart and I just had to pray for you in the middle of the night and I've come to ask if there's something that I can do for you. And my mother said, oh, yes, there is, and told her her story. And that lady led my mom to Christ. And soon thereafter, my mom led me to Christ. So my mom gave me birth. My mom was the one who led me to new birth. My mom was the one who invited me to her Pentecostal church in 1993, changed my life. My mom's the one who introduced me to Dudley Hall because she met him first before I had. My mom is my buddy. And for the last five years, she's lived down the street. And uh, for four of those years, she's had cancer, and I've been her caregiver, and we've had fun, and we've been through hard times, and, and she's gone. And uh, we're grieving. So I'm thinking about Joshua. He loved Moses. And Moses was awesome. Moses had that staff. You know the one that became a snake and then became a staff again? That, that staff, I mean, he could like strike a rock and water come. I mean, he was, that staff, he held it up, red seas parted. Moses was full of signs and wonders. And Moses, the Bible said, was so close that God spoke to him like a man, like face to face. He put Moses in the cleft of the rock. And let his glory pass by like no man had ever seen before. He was a mediator between the people and God. He walked in wisdom. And Joshua always knew that no matter what, he had Moses. He had him. If he had a problem, he could go to Moses. He knew that Moses had poured his life into him. He knew that Moses loved him. He knew he could count on that. He knew that Moses was the leader of God's people. And so God started out his big motivational speech to Joshua with Moses is dead. (laughs) Y'all, I think it's because there is a blessing that comes when you realize that what you've always counted on for your earthly security, when you realize that though it's gone, God is enough, your faith increases. Your walk with God. When, 
when that which has been even formative to you in a different season by which you at least in some indirect way could always count on if I don't go directly to God at least I have this whether it be a person or whether it be some process or something else in your life and when that's gone and now it's you and God you grow Moses is dead. Moses was wonderful. Moses was a deliverer. Moses was a priest. Moses was a prophet. Moses was a miracle worker. Moses was awesome. I loved Moses, and Moses is not here, but you are, Joshua. It is to say that the way that the people came out of Egypt was wonderful. But Joshua, I'm doing something new in a new day, in a new way. And even to put it more starkly, he's saying, I don't need Moses to take them into the promised land. I need you to do that, Joshua. You have a different assignment. Every entry into a promised land requires the acceptance that the means by which you came to the land is over and it's time to follow the Lord in a new step. Hallelujah. It means, beloved, that as Paul told the Colossians, you have been qualified for your inheritance in the saints. It means, Joshua, you are not perfect, you are not Moses, but you are 100% the man that I want to do this and therefore you are qualified by me. You are not qualified by your merits. You're qualified by God. And everything that makes the gospel wonderful is built upon that glorious revelation that God has bought this inheritance for you in Jesus Christ. And therefore, when you are in Christ, you are as much an heir of the riches of Christ as any other saint who has ever lived. In fact of matter, God looks upon you as he looks upon his only begotten son and calls you the righteousness of God. And Jesus Christ has made you holy, set you apart unto him. And there's nothing that can change that. So you might as well walk it out. You're the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ, so you might as well walk it out. The announcement of Moses' death was the announcement of Joshua's promotion. Sometimes our forms of earthly security that feel like a death to us when it's gone is actually the promotion of God if our spiritual eyes can see it. And the way that Joshua had assumed that they would enter the land following after Moses is not going to be the way. It was perhaps his idea, but it was a fantasy to think that Moses was going to be the one. And I, I don't know if this means something to somebody, but to me, what this means is that sometimes there has to be an end of a fantasy in my life so that I can embrace the reality of the blessing that's in front of me. So what happens at verse 3 is a verse of Scripture that is so pregnant with every manner of seed of the glories of the gospel that you could just spend a whole sermon series. You could just spend your life dwelling on this verse. It's remarkable. 
Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I've given you, just as I promised to Moses. And what's interesting in the first place about this is that in this one verse, the past tense and the future tense meet. You would think it's just bad grammar. Every place the sole of your foot will tread, that's the future tense. But it is then completed with a past tense statement, I have given to you. So there is a way that God can already have secured for you something that you have not yet appropriated. Right? So it's possible that God in Jesus Christ went to the cross for you and secured heaven for you. I have heaven for you. But you haven't yet walked on the streets of gold. You will. You will. Heaven is yours, and you've got a deposit of the Holy Spirit inside of you guaranteeing heaven to you. But that full consummation of walking into heaven in all of his perfection, you hadn't walked there yet. Well, so is the Christian life. Isn't it possible that he went to the cross so you'd be healed? He bought it, he paid for it, and maybe you haven't yet stepped into every piece of it. Isn't it possible that maybe he came in the person of Jesus Christ and became your curse so that you would be given every spiritual blessing in Christ? That's what Paul said, right? But isn't it possible that you haven't yet stepped into every spiritual blessing? but yet he's already given it to you. Every place you step your foot, I've given you that land. It means, therefore, that God's sovereignty and our responsibility meet here in a mystical way. There's a way that God can be sovereign, lay up an inheritance for you that has absolutely nothing to do with your merits whatsoever, but at the same time, he involves you so closely in the process that the inheritance is only appropriated to you step by step. I, that's wow. And see, it, to, let's get the gospel clear here. It is not the reverse. And, and, and when it is in the reverse, it comes across as once you step your foot and you do something, then God's going to give it to you. That's not what that's not the gospel. The gospel is I have bought it in Jesus Christ. The work has been finished. You step it out. This is love, not that we first loved God, but he first loved us. So why do we love people? Because God has loved us. So I'm just walking in love. Every place you step your foot, it's already been given you. Promised land living involves heavy spiritual battles that are won by the confidence of the people of God who know that this has already been given. It's just in the process of being appropriated. It also means, brothers and sisters, that there's no way to the end except by beginning here. They, they couldn't get to or the Ammonite territory before they went to Jericho. It's a battle after another battle after another battle 
And that's the way life is. I would very, I don't know about you, I, when, I, when I can see in my mind, I feel visionary, can see things. And I see step 10. I see what step 10 looks like. And everything in me wants to just leapfrog the other steps and get to step 10. That's not the way it happens. You don't get to step 10 in a leap. You go to step 2. And you don't go from step 2 to number 10. You go to 3. Battle by lap battle. Step by step. Every place you step your foot. First place is going to be Jericho. Next place is going to be I. Next place is going to be turn south. Fight five of the Amorite kings. Next I want you to turn north. Then we're going to go. I also like this about verse 3. That it is in the Hebrew. It is in the plural. So that if we're going to properly render this. It should read, it should, they should translate. We need a Southerner's Bible because it should say, every place that y'all set y'all's feet, I've already given to y'all. Because that's very, very important because it's not just for Joshua, it's for everybody that's with Joshua. It's not just for Jesus, it's for everybody who's in Jesus. Now, this is the next thing about it. And this, this is what spoke to me so much about this. Um, it, and it, it is an image from football. And I know we're in basketball season. And uh, I really know we're in basketball season since uh, my Tar Heels had a nice night last night. And... Um, it's a little awkward because our son graduated from Duke Law School, and so I, I, I can't be too mad about it. But anyway, it, still. Uh, but this is an image from football, which I presume that all, all Texans know something about football. But if you don't, bless your heart, um, <clears throat> let me make sure I educate you on one of the very, very important principles of offense in the game of football. And it is a thing that is called forward progress. And what that means is that when you have uh, carried the ball or thrown the ball and you have moved the ball forward down the field, that no matter how hard you get tackled or how hard you get pushed back once they hit you, you don't put the ball down for the next play at the place where you fell down. You put it down at the point of the farthest progress you made. That is called the principle of forward progress in football. And it's very, very important. Because if you didn't understand this and you just watched this uh, sport where people are hitting each other, um, what you'd see oftentimes is that there might be one running back and he got five or six guys on the other team that have ganged up on him and he's getting crushed and they're going to push him back about 10 yards. But what's going to happen is the referee at the end of the play is going to go and he's going to pick up the ball and he's going to put it back down to however far the running back got with the ball. That's forward progress. So the referee picks it back up, puts it down to the point of forward progress. And the thing that's important about this is, you know, they could pick up the runner and turn him upside down and carry him halfway backwards down the field. But it doesn't matter because the referee is still going to go and pick up the ball and return it back to the place of, say it with me, forward progress. 
you get in the game of football, you always get your forward progress. It means you can get tackled so hard it knocks the wind out of you. Anybody ever had that happen before? You got the wind knocked out of you? you I've played football as a kid. You could get tackled so hard, you hit the ground so hard, you get up, you cannot breathe. <gasps> it's a scary thing. <gasps> and here's the whole point, is the running backs back there, you got the wind knocked out of them, <gasps> can't even breathe. <gasps> The referee still, while he's gasping for breath back here, 10 yards back here, picks up the ball and moves it back up to the point of forward progress. Any minister that doesn't ever admit it is lying, who doesn't say there's sometimes where the wind's been knocked out of you and you feel like you dived up, I'm dying, and then realize the referee moved the ball up there, you made forward progress, you just don't realize it. You can... Get tackled so hard, the helmet comes flying off of you. <laughs> Good poor guy. <sighs> it doesn't matter. You, you can wake up one day and feel like you completely lost the helmet of salvation. Like, I don't even feel saved now. <laughs> but, but in the spirit, you are given your forward progress. Whether you feel saved today or not doesn't determine whether you're saved, does it? And what's really neat about this rule is that if you need to get a first down by reaching the 30-yard line, if even just the nose of the ball reaches the 30-yard line, it's a first down. And the same thing of a touchdown, which is really fun when you watch these guys that are getting tackled so hard and they stretch out the ball. I never like my team to do that. I'm afraid they're going to fumble it. But the reason is you stretch out the ball. If even the nose of the ball touches just over that invisible uh, uh, plane of the touchdown line, even just the nose, one centimeter gets over it, it it's, a, it's a touchdown. So the, the guy who's been clobbered here stretches out. He's lying there, might have gotten his ankle crushed on the play. But the ref's over there like, touchdown. So, every place, Joshua, that you set your foot, I've given it to you. And I want you to understand this as a step-by-step -step process because there are going to be setbacks. But do not despair because you make forward progress. And even though it might feel like you got pushed backwards... You've come farther than you think. I just can't tell you how many times I've counseled with couples and they're going through a really hard season. And there is a tendency, it's a psychological principle, there's a tendency when you feel depressed today to reinterpret your history and say, well, the reason I feel this way is that things don't go well for me and I've blown it all. And our mind, instead of being set upon land that has been taken, starts dwelling upon all that's been missed and all the disappointment and all the setback. And the spirit of the living God is seeking to communicate to you, you have come farther in the spirit than you realize and all is not lost. In fact, you have gained much more than you ever realized. If you could just start from here at this point 
you don't even realize it. You just made a first down, and right now the wind's been knocked out of you. But if we can get you back up on your feet, there's going to be another first down to be made. You're moving down the field. You're moving through the promised land. They, they came in and they, they took Jericho by marching around the walls and the walls came tumbling down miraculously and everybody's like, wow, this is incredible. All we got to do is just march and blow the shofar and we take the whole promised land. But when they went to their next battle at the, at the city of Ai, they were defeated and they ran for fear and it turned out there was sin in the camp and they had to deal with all of that and their people are on the brink of despair and God had to send them back in to, to fight a second time. And don't you know, some guys are going, well, this is not easy as I thought. I mean, this isn't like Jericho at all. This is completely different. This is way harder than I thought. What's going on here? I I'll tell you what's going on is you just, you got, you got tackled hard. But the fact that you got tackled hard at eye doesn't mean that you didn't take Jericho. You did take Jericho. The Jericho walls are down. You have moved into the promised land. You're not still stuck in slavery. You're not wandering in a wilderness. You're in a promised land and you have taken some ground. Don't give up now. That's what he's saying. And... He continues at verse 5 with something I, I think is important to notice. He tells him, I want you to stay in the word. Verse 5, no man shall be able to stand before you. There's the promise. And just as I was with Moses, I'll be with you. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. So he's saying in the same degree, the same way I always was with Moses, demonstrating that through signs and wonders, plagues against Egypt, amazing wonders, parted Red Seas, manna in the wilderness, water from a rock, you name it, as a sign of wonder. Carrying. I was with Moses. I'm going to be with you. But then he says this at verse 8. With you the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that's written in it. For then you'll make your way prosperous. Did you ever notice there's a difference between Joshua's call and Moses's? Joshua's going to have many miracles, starting with Jericho in his life. But Moses' call was Moses saying, I don't want to do it. Who am I? And Moses, he says, take that staff, throw it down. It became a snake. He picked it back up, became a staff again. And then signs and wonders begin following his ministry. This is how you're going to know, Moses. I'm going to show you a miracle. But what he said to Joshua was, stay in the Word. It's not to say that miracles weren't going to be there, but it is to say that there's something in spiritual maturing that embraces miracles, lives with expectancy of the supernatural, and yet abides in the promises of God. It is to live by spirit and word and to grow with God such that if you don't get a sign today, you don't worry that God's left you. I, I didn't realize until this past year, somehow I was looking at this, that infants do 
not have what psychologists call object permanence until the fourth to seventh month. So what that means is that little babies, this is kind of weird, they don't, until it, somewhere between four and seven months, they don't have this consciousness that if they can't see something or someone, that it still exists. That's weird, isn't it? Because what that means is that a two-month-old baby who is so happy in his mother's arms as she nurses him, and he's like, my mother, she's the best. She gives me milk. She's warm. She's soft. She's sweet. She loves me. She's the greatest thing in all the world. My mom is everything. This is what life is all about, my mom. Look at that smile on my mother's face. She's incredible. I love my mommy. She's so good. Oh, everything's about mommy. And then mom sets down the baby, takes 10 steps over into the kitchen, and is out of sight. And a two-month-old thinks she doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that woman carried that baby for nine months, morning sickness, back aches, brought the child into the world through 24 hours of labor, stayed up night after night feeding the baby for months, hadn't slept, has done everything she can to nurse that little baby, and you take 10 steps away, and the baby doesn't even know you exist. So growing up means that you understand that just because you can't see something or someone right this second does not mean that they do not exist. Stay in the Word. You're going to see many signs and wonders in your life, beloved. Hallelujah. I'm glad you're a church that believes in miracles. I'm glad I'm in a church that believes in miracles. I want miracles, but stay in the Word. Because just in the event that you don't have a miracle today, I would like very much for you to remember God loves you, and you're on His mind, and He'll never leave you, and He'll never forsake you. So, when the walls of Jericho come down, celebrate, sound the shofar, dance and have a party. But when you get a setback and get tackled hard the next time, keep on praising him then because he loves you just as much. He's just as real to you. He's just as present to you. Every place you step your foot has been given to you. Every promise, promise of God is yes and amen in Christ Jesus. Every promise of God. And to be an heir of God is to live in those promises. Joshua is Yeshua. Yeshua is Jesus. Jesus is Jesus. And the most beautiful thing about forward progress is that when the runner makes the forward progress, the whole team gets it. If you were blocking, if you were out at the wide receiver position, all you did was run a route, or if you were a fullback and you came plowing through the line first, 
or if you're the quarterback that handed off the ball, it doesn't matter. If the running back makes forward progress, the whole team does. I think this goes far to explain what Paul means when he says, in Christ, you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Whatever he has won, whatever he has bought on the cross, whatever he has accomplished for you, including victory over death itself, whatever inheritance should have been only his, if you're in Christ, it's also yours. Every place you step your foot, you're going to make and keep the forward progress. So don't give up now. You get it all, and you get to keep it, even if the wind's knocked out, even if you're tired, even if you're weary, even if you feel like giving up. You come farther than you think. You really have. And that's the gospel.